I'm not the shoes I wear I'm not the clothes I buy I'm not the house I live in I'm not the car I drive I'm not the job I work You, you can't define my word But nothing on God's green earth My identity is found in Christ It's found in Christ we are two weeks into the second week of our identity series and taking a look at it, it's a Lecrae song or rap or whatever you're supposed to call it, but uh, in uh, Lecrae rap and where I'm not the shoes I wear, I'm not the car I drive, but what is our identity? And last week we took a look at the fact that we have two foundational identities in Christ. One is a saint, we are uniquely set apart for a specific purpose and the other is a faithful follower. And, and, and we're taking a look at this series, this six-week series is taking a look at the identity that saints have. And last week we took a look at the fact that saints are blessed by God. We have a blessing as being a saint. And, and, and we're blessed by God. And the blessings that we have is that before He made the world, He loved us. And that before He made the world, He chose us to be holy and blameless in His eyes. That He chose us to be adopted into His family. That we belong to our big brother, Jesus. That Jesus purchased our freedom by his blood. And that God forgave us. And that those are all blessings and packaged together through our, our inheritance. And that too is our identity, is that we have an inheritance. And inheritance is being a child of God. And, the, and our inheritance is all of those wrapped together in a nice little package with a bow on top. But really, ultimately, ultimately, what our inheritance is, is the very presence of God. And those blessings flow from the very presence of God, of which He's given us a down payment called the Holy Spirit. That down payment's not too shabby, right? Holy Spirit, God Himself, third person of the Trinity. And then he's given that to us as, as, as a down payment or given him to us as a down payment that one day we will come into the place of receiving our full blessing. Heaven is not the blessing. It's the place we will receive the full blessing, the full presence of God. And so right now as saints, if you believe in Christ and right now as saints, what he is doing is that He is using each and every one of us in a unique way to continually make Christ the supreme king of this earth. He has made Christ the supreme king, but He is also making Christ the supreme king. Something theologians call the tension of the already, but not yet. God has already made Christ the supreme king, but he is also making Christ to become the ultimate king, and we'll see that come to a head and come into a culmination uh, with his return. But here's what I hope for each and every one of us, because this is what I experience when we talk about the identity and the blessings that we have in Christ, is that I hope that each and every one of us are left a little bit desperate are left a little bit wanting. And we go, and these blessings, they're, they're beyond me. I can't do these things to myself. And we as Americans, we're a do culture, right? We, we, we want to do something. 
And we have this itch, this knack to, to, to want to do something. And so when we're left with an identity that leaves us not able to do anything because we're so used to doing something to our identity, buy a car or put makeup on or buy some shoes or look this way or be with these people, we're so used to doing something for our identity that when we are left without anything to do, we're left desperate. And that if you're like me, have a tendency to read over that stuff and be like, oh, that's nice, and just roll with our day. But as we are, are, are confronted and face-to-face with the reality of our identity, that we're just going, oh, God, I can't do anything about this. So is there anything I can do about this? And we're left go saying, God, if you don't do anything, I have no chance. I have no chance at this. So Paul, in his brilliance, but also under the inspiration of, of, of God, immediately goes from the blessings into a, a, a section in Ephesians that really does kind of talk about how we are able to deepen this identity into us. And that's what we're going to take a look at today. We're going to be in Ephesians, starting in verse, uh, Ephesians 1, starting in verse 15. You can follow along with us in a hardcover Bible there. If, if uh, you don't have a Bible, we have uh, New Testaments out there that you can take home. Um, and we, we encourage you, we ask you to take those with you. Um, we didn't pay for them, so we stole them. No, uh, <clears throat> our denomination sent them to us for free. So... You can steal a stolen Bible, it's all right. God won't mind. You can follow along. We throw the scripture up there on the screen, but also if you have a smartphone or a tablet, you can follow along in the uh, Bible app uh, with the live event there. And so Paul goes into this section, uh, and, and, and really, he's really going into this section, utilizing this section to deepen the identity into the hearts and into the lives of the Ephesians. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I've not stopped thanking God for you. Paul talks about how he has heard about their faith. He started the church, but after he left, he's heard about their strong faith in the Lord and how they have love for saints everywhere. And then what does God tell them? Or what does Paul tell them? I thank God for you. I thank God for you. I appreciate your faith. I appreciate the love that you have for people. Isn't it easier to have an identity when you feel like your identity is appreciated? Really, that's the whole reason why we mess with the identity we're intended to have anyway. We feel like our identity isn't appreciated, so we jack with our identity and we twist our identity in order to find an an identity that's appreciated by somebody. And that's what we do. That's how our identity gets skewed, is that we just simply want an identity that's appreciated by somebody, so we're going to twist ours so that somebody will thank me for the identity that I have. And so here Paul is like, I thank God for you. I thank God for the faith that you have. I thank God for the, for the love that you have for people. I thank God for, for the fact that, the, that you are identified as a saint and you're living that out. I thank God for that. <clears throat> For me, 
as somebody that's a forward thinker, always thinking forward and always trying to move forward, it takes looking backwards just a little bit to be appreciative of something. And so unfortunately in my life, that thankfulness and that appreciation is always kind of left a little short because I'm always moving forward to the next thing. But I want you to know that you're appreciated. Your faith that you have. I mean, we talked last night with the coaches and owners and the leadership of, of Crosspoint about the faith that, that you all are, are as a group and as individuals are, are showing and that the love that you show are showing people. And we are thankful for that. And we, we appreciate that. We appreciate the things that you do in order to show your faith and, and have faith and show your love. And those of you that are serving over there, we appreciate you. <laughs> Hopefully they heard that. <laughs> you did. <laughs> And we appreciate you when you go over there and serve. And part of the reason why we want the children's curriculum to marry what we're doing here is, is so that you're getting it over there and teaching, teaching them. But what you do is appreciated. And we thank you for that. And I thank you for that. But also to take this a step further, I hadn't thought about this until I was listening to, to, to a guy by the name of Mark Driscoll, a pastor in Seattle that yells louder than I do and, and, and preaches longer than I do and, and is, 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 is more intelligent than I am. So you might just want to listen to him, but put your big boy pants on if you want to, want to listen to him. But, but he talked about how not only is Paul appreciating the Ephesians, but God through Paul is appreciating the Ephesians. The people in Ephesus, the church in Ephesus, of saying, of, of really God saying, I appreciate you. I don't know for some of us that might be a difficult concept, and, and maybe we're kind of used to the lightning bolt God, and God just kind of tolerates us and puts up with us, and, and He's just like, man, I don't know what to do with you. I guess I kind of have to love you because I created you, you know? A lot of us kind of have that image of, of God. But what we, what we looked at and what Paul wrote earlier on in the, in the chapter is that he chose us to be adopted into his family. And that that is what he wanted to do and that is what brought him pleasure. It brought him pleasure to adopt us. So God appreciates the faith and the love that, that, that you have because of what he is doing in your life. And so if that's a hard concept for you, just think about the word appreciate. Where else do we use the word appreciate? With homes, right? Our home appreciates in value. Does that mean that we stand outside of our home and go, oh house, I just thank you for being a house. I thank you for being a house. I so appreciate you for being my house. And for us that you have four bedrooms and two baths and I just, I just appreciate that. In we would no longer get the chance to appreciate our home because we would have a new home. White walls, padded, hugging ourselves. Our neighbors would, would, would have concern over our sanity at that point in time. Appreciate is what? To give value to, correct? 
to give value, to increase in value. And so if God is appreciating us, what is he doing? Increasing our value. God's already done that for us. We are what? Created from what? Dirt. But he gives us the breath of life. He alone appreciates us, increases our value in us. And so if we have a hard time thinking about that concept because we kind of have an image of God that just tolerates us, just think that God is the only one who can truly appreciate us and increase our value. But Paul doesn't just stop there. He just doesn't thank them and goes on. Because if we stop there, we might get a self-centric view of our identity. I pray for you constantly. I pray for you constantly. Like this is a church that Paul has left. He's not even in this church anymore. Like I pray for you constantly. I mean, self-confession, I have a hard time praying for you daily, let alone constantly, let alone a church that I've left. I pray for you constantly. How much do we pray for each other? How much do we pray for our church? How much do we pray for God to do something inside of each other and in our church? I pray for you constantly. Asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. Prayer request number one for the Ephesians that Paul has is that they grow in their knowledge of God. Now this knowledge is not just some trivial pursuit head knowledge that we can win in a game of Bible trivial pursuit because we Christians just knock off everything from the, from the world. <coughs> or that we can go on Jeff Foxworthy's new show, whatever it's called, Do You Know the Bible or Do You Know the Bible Like a Fifth Grader, whatever it's called, and, 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 and that we can go on that show and win money or win money for charity or just win pride for the fact that we know the Bible. or, or whatever. This isn't the knowledge that Paul is talking about. The knowledge that Paul is talking about is relational knowledge. I know of Michael Jordan. I know of LeBron James. When I went to China on a mission trip, Every Chinese person would ask, do you know Michael Jordan? Well, I mean, it's a hard question to answer. I mean, I know of Michael Jordan, but I've never met Michael Jordan. I don't know Michael Jordan. Like I know my wife or like I know you all because I've experienced you. I've experienced you. Some of you just got a little weirded out by that, you know. I've experienced you. That's the kind of knowledge that Paul is talking about, the experiential knowledge, the the relational knowledge. Have we experienced God? Not have we prayed a prayer once in our life. Do we have a daily experiential and relational knowledge of God? That's what Paul wants the Ephesians to grow in because we can all grow there, right? We can all grow in our relational knowledge of God. We can all grow in our relationship knowledge of God. We can all grow in our relationship with God. Are we growing in our relationship with God? This is what Paul is praying for the Ephesians. Do you pray that for yourself? Do you pray that for our people? These are kingdom building prayers. These are prayers placed on the top shelf, not the bottom shelf. What do we put on the bottom shelf? Common stuff, right? Stuff that anybody touches if it breaks. Uh, not that big of a deal. I wanted to throw it away anyway, but I didn't have a reason to. 
We put priceless stuff on the top shelf. Not that God doesn't care about our needs and care about our health and care about our provision. Jesus teaches us to pray for that stuff. But if we're only praying for that, it's bottom shelf. It's bottom shelf. And we pray in kingdom building prayers that the kingdom will build inside of me, inside of us as a church. Are we praying to know God relationally? What else does Paul pray for? I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope He has given to those He called. Paul prays that the Ephesians will be enlightened, have that aha moment to the hope of their calling. He prays that they are enlightened to the hope of their calling. Those of you that were with us during our Advent Remix series, what's the definition of hope? Certainty of a better future. Certainty of a better future. So, so that 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 Paul wants them to know, and that God, that he wants them, that God to reveal to them and enlighten to them what is the certainty of the better future that they have inside of the calling of God. So, what is the calling of God? Thank, thankfully, Paul is brilliant. His holy people, who are. Now, hold on a second. I'm not, I'm not quite sure that you're ready for this. I'm not quite, this, is, this, is, this is top shelf type stuff. This is, we might lose a couple of y'all because your mind might explode. So I, you guys ready for, yeah, keep his mind in. No, we don't want, that, that'd be bad. That kind of stopped the service there. Kind of stopped the service there. I want to make sure that we're ready for this. We got our, you know, we're, we're ready. We're ready. What is the calling of God? His holy people. We talked about this last week. His saints. Our calling is to be a saint. Our calling is to be somebody that is set aside for a unique purpose. We don't set ourselves aside. God sets us aside for a unique purpose. So it's not about finding who we are in our inner being. It's about finding out who we are by God's will. Why has he set us apart for this calling? Every one of you are called. This whole bogus notion that I'm called and you're not is a bad (laughs) not correct not biblical thank you janice talking me off the cliff it's not biblical everybody is called paul doesn't say i'm called what is my calling paul doesn't say that our calling confident hope he has given to those he called Everyone who is a saint, everyone who is a faithful follower are people He has called. You are called. I am called. The role, the unique role that God has set us aside for are different. But our calling is all the same. It's to be a saint. That's the calling. 
Now you, you, you got your minds together. You got your minds, all right? All right? We're going to get there. I just wanted to make sure you're ready. So I wanted to pause and talk about the same thing. If, because you're ready. His holy people, who are His, who's His? God. Who are God's rich and glorious inheritance. Now we talked about last week that we get an inheritance, but, but check this. What the Bible is saying, what Paul is saying is that we are also God's inheritance. He looks at us as his inheritance. <laughs> right? I mean, that's crazy. That's nuts. It's incomprehensible that we would be God's inheritance, that he would look at us as his own inheritance. You might be like, how does that work? You ready for the preacher answer here? I don't have any idea. I don't have any clue how that works. But isn't that what makes it even more beautiful, that this mystery of how we can be God's inheritance and receive an inheritance of God are both true. And think about that. You are God's inheritance. He has created you for a unique purpose. You are His inheritance. That's, that's crazy. That's our calling, is to be His inheritance. That's, that's our calling, is to be His inheritance. I mean, this is, this is nuts. This is crazy. And if you're here and you consider yourself a non-fan, somebody that's like, I don't know about this God thing. I don't know about this Jesus thing, and this church thing. I'm just kind of here. I've been burned by the church. I'm just kind of entering back in. I'm still not quite sure about all of this. And you might be wondering, how do I come upon this inheritance? How do I become a saint? How do I become God's inheritance? Faithfully follow. Faithfully follow. You might be like, oh, okay, faithfully follow. For like probably, what, you know, a year or five years, then you can become God's inheritance. Uh, No. All about mm, one second. And when we decide to faithfully follow today, we become a saint. He makes us a saint. We don't make ourselves a saint. We are made a saint by God. We are made God's inheritance. We receive His blessing. And then you know what? When tomorrow becomes today, what do we do? We wake up. We faithfully follow. And when Tuesday becomes today, you know what we do? We wake up and we faithfully follow. When Wednesday becomes today, you know what we do? We wake up and we faithfully follow. When Thursday becomes today, you know what we do? We wake up and we faithfully follow. You know, when Friday becomes today, you know what we do? We wake up and we faithfully follow. When Saturday becomes today, you know what we do? We wake up and we faithfully follow. I won't include Sunday because you know how to do the faithfully follow on Sunday thing. I mean, after you're at church, right? Looking all nice and faithfully following. But we faithfully follow from Monday to Saturday as well. And that is our calling. 
And as soon as we do that, in that instant, in that nanosecond, we become a saint made that way by God and we become God's inheritance. And we receive God's inheritance as well. <coughs> but that's not the end of his prayer, as great as the rest of that is. And in fact, the next part of his prayer is actually what he explains. And we're going to explain the next part of his prayer in the rest of the sermon and then going into next week as well. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe Him. He prays that they understand, that they, they get, they, 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 they know the greatness, the incredible, the immeasurable greatness of God's power that's available to those who believe in Him. This is why knowledge is not enough. This is why if we win a trivial Bible pursuit but don't know Him, that's not enough. Because when we do that, we miss the power of God. Congratulations, you filled out the pieces of your pie, but you don't know Jesus. Congratulations, you win, but lose. God wants us to know the greatness of his power in our daily lives. And if you're like me, that should leave every one of us going, oh no! I don't see his power nearly enough. Oh no. If that's available to me, I don't see it nearly enough. It should always leaving us back to our knees going, God, I want to see your power at work. I want to see your power at work because I don't see it nearly enough. And then it should leave us going back to our neighborhoods going, I want your power to work right here. It should leave us going back to our jobs and saying, I want your power to work right here in people's lives. It should leave us going back to our school and saying, I want your power to work right here amongst my classmates, right here. I want your power to work. I have no idea how you're going to do that. But I want your power to work and God as your unique vessel Find some way to use me. Find some way to use me. Can I tell you this? I don't care if you have the books of the Bible memorized. I know that I just said something sacrilegious for a Bible drill Southern Baptist background. But I can give a flip if you have the books of the Bible memorized. And I'm around pastors and they're like, People don't know the Bible. They don't have the books of the Bible memorized. Who cares? Do they know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you see his power at work in your life? You can have, you can spell all the Bible book names backwards and don't know Jesus. Do you know the power of Jesus at work in your life and seeing him work around you? Guess what you need in order to know that? The Bible. You need to engage with his word. You need to engage with God through prayer. But I'm way more interested, and God is way more interested in you knowing his power and him relationally and the hope of his calling 
than knowing the books of the Bible. Guess what Paul didn't know? The books of the Bible. Why? He was writing the thing. He was writing it. You know what the majority of Christians throughout history didn't know? The books of the Bible. Why? Because most of them were illiterate. And they just heard the stories passed down to generations. They couldn't read. So they just heard about how God was working and they believed in that. And the fellas in the Acts, most of them, they weren't religiously trained by Paul. They just simply heard the stories and believed and then they became the story because of God's power at work. Do we want to become the story because God's power is at work in our life. That's what I want. And it leaves me desperate. It leaves me desperate because I know I can't do this. I know I can't muster up God's power on my own. But what Paul is teaching us is that we can certainly pray. We can certainly pray for it. And we can get on our knees before Him and pray. But maybe some of us are like, what, what power exactly does this look like? What, what does this look like? This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. This is the same power. The same power available to us today when we go into our neighborhoods tomorrow, when tomorrow becomes today and we go into our workplaces and our schools. The same power available to us is the same power that 2,000 years ago rose Christ from the dead and ascended him to heaven. That's the kind of power that we have. So we can walk into our workplaces and say, who do you want to raise today, God? Who do you want to heal today, God? Who do you want to bring life to today, God? We can walk into our schools and we ask the question, God, who do you want to use me in order to bring life to today, to bring healing to today? One of the things that I was captivated by this week was reading through Jesus' story and, 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 and the Gospels and, and a couple of the healings, that, the, the, the miracles that he had. And one was a healing a kid and one was raising a kid from life and, 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 and just thinking over that and what, God, what do you want to do through that? And, and it's not just like nice little stories, but what do you want to do in my life because of that? And, and just revealing that there are sick and dying people all around us and when the kingdom shows up with resurrection power, people receive new life again. And God wants to use you in power to be able to bring that new life to them. Are we praying for that? Before we step out the door, before we get of our, out of our car, before we walk into the school, are we praying for that? Now, now this power is used because he is far above any ruler, authority, or power, or leader, or anything else, not only in this world, but in the world to come. Now how this power is used is that this power is used to keep God sovereign, to keep Jesus sovereign over, every, <coughs> over everything. So we are set aside for a unique purpose in order to make this true in this world. And now this power is used inside of us and through us by God in order to make him ruler over everything. 
And that's what he wants to use his power for now. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. Christ is over all, but he is also the head of the church. I am not the head of the church. The elders are not the head of the church. Rogue deacons are not the head of the church. Jesus is. And when we get that right, the body knows how to stay in line. And the body knows the power of God because Jesus is the head of the church. Kind of laughing with the deans about business meeting and voting and stuff. The head of the church is not up to vote. Jesus. It's Jesus. But, you, re- you ready? Because we've got another mind-blowing experience coming up here. You ready? It is made full. The body is made full and complete by Christ. Another translation would say that the body is Christ's fullness who fills all things everywhere with himself. He is the head, but he fills us as a church. And church isn't place. Church here is gathering. It's not place, it's gathering. It's a gathering of people. So he fills a gathering of people with himself. He is filling us with himself to make us his fullness. That's what he wants to do. And power is to make us his fullness everything that god wants to be on this earth he does that through his church that's our identity is that he is filling us with himself and that is his our identity and that's what he wants to do in us and through us in power is make us his body his gathering his fullness and everything that he wants to be in this world So this Monday through Saturday, Christianity is us scattered, being everything that God wants us to be in this world as we scatter about into our neighborhoods, into our schools, into our workplaces. And honestly, I want you to leave here desperate. Desperate. Of going, I can't know God relationally on my own. I can't know the hope, the certainty of a better future through the calling of being a saint on my own. I certainly can't know the power of God on my own. At work in this world, I can't know that on my own. I need Him. And that leaves us tomorrow morning getting up, (coughs) bowing before Him and saying, God, I can't know you on my own. I can't know the hope of my calling on my own. I can't know your power today on my own. Can you work in me, please? I'm fascinated with revivals of past. Not the meeting with sweaty, spitty preachers, but actual revivals. Right now I'm reading the autobiography of Charles Finney, 
a revivalist that, that lived, ministered a lot in like the 1850s. I'm especially drawn to him because he ministered a lot in central New York and, and you know, we spent a couple of years there and I'm just uh, captivated by, man, it, it happened 160 years ago. And, and everywhere he went where revival did break out, what ended up coming out was that there was a group of people praying on their knees asking God for top shelf type stuff. But his power worked in people. There was a small group of people in the community but they were praying. So what I want us to do now is practice praying. It would be foolish of me to preach a sermon on prayer and then go See you next week. Go pray. We're going to practice praying. We're going to throw up the prayer request that Paul gave and throw them up on the screen and ask you to, to again, group up because there's, 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 there's power in, in, in numbers and hearing each other pray the, to, to, to gather together as a family or friends or whatnot and, and, and pray about the things that Paul prayed about so that tomorrow... We see no excuses. I don't have time. Really? We don't have time to pray for the hope of His calling? We don't have time to pray for the power of God to come? We don't have time to pray for Him to reveal Himself more to us in relationship? We don't have time to pray for that? And we can't go home claiming ignorance in prayer. and saying, I don't know how to pray. Because we have that right in front of you. And to further take away any excuses from you, we have cheat sheets for you that we'll pass out as you leave that I want you to take. And we'll do this every week. We've got the first week as well this week. I failed to do it last week. But so that you can take home and have this and, and you bow before God and you have this as a visual and, and pray these things and ask God to reveal himself. And I want you to read this passage every day this week. And ask him as, as, as you twist that around in different lights and see the beauty of the diamond that is the Bible and God speaking through the Bible in different lights and read that every day or twice a day or three times a day. Not out of ritual, but out of asking God, reveal yourself through this passage to me. But we're simply going to group together and we're going to pray about these things. So go and pray. And in just a few minutes, I'll close us with, with, with the word of prayer.